Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder... If you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. safe reality and fallen into darkness. There is no escape and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. I am GM Danielson, your guide through these twisted worlds of the most disturbed imaginations. This episode of the Simply Scary Podcast is dedicated to the work of author Will Dalfin, as this Indiana native's generous compilation of 35 harrowing nightmares in his book, Don't Look Away, now available on Amazon.com. 
We have worked directly with the author to choose some of his most tantalizingly terrifying tomes from his shriek-inducing collection to adapt for you, in order that you might experience his nightmares in vivid psycho-color audio, as only the Simply Scary podcast can provide. We are proud to present to you our exclusive auditory renditions of Will Dalphin's most spine-tingling selections. Whatever you do, don't look away. And now it's time to begin our tailspin into terror. Opening up our midnight stroll on the dark side, we present for your consideration a story of a house. The body has been moved, but the house still needs to be emptied. When two friends go to clean out a suicidal aunt's former residence, they are vastly unprepared for what they find still lurking there. And while the aunt knows the peaceful slumber of the grave, our storyteller may never sleep again. Our first cut from Will Dalphin's Don't Look Away is served up by Jason Hill, featuring John Evans and Barry Bowman. Prepare for... The Crawling House on Black Pond Road. I'm currently seated at a computer terminal in a little white, sterile room. There's about a half dozen other computer terminals here, all facing the same way, like a classroom. There's posters on the wall with medical information. Everyone in them looks happy and complacent. Zombies. This place is called Sleep Health Centers, just outside of Boston. It's a clinic for people with sleeping disorders. I'm feeling a little loopy from the azoplacone, so if my speech gets all slurred, you'll just have to deal with it. The docs want me to do some recording and try to verbalize my thoughts. He said that the process can help with insomnia. And I gotta admit, if things were normal, I'd probably be passed out right now. But things ain't normal. No. It's not that I can't sleep, it's that I don't want to sleep. I actually doze off pretty frequently, but when I realize I'm falling asleep, I catch myself, snap myself out of it. When I don't, I drift off and I can't stop myself. I dream. And that's what I want to avoid. If I could control what I dream about, I'd sleep right now and I'd probably not wake up for months. But I can't control it. Ever since this past spring. Ever since... Ever since Tom... That house on Black Pond Road... Just thinking about it makes my skin crawl. Writing that makes me see it all again in my head. 
I don't want to relive it, but Dr. Kirsch, he's my doc. Nice guy, smiles a lot. Practically whispers when he talks. Dr. Kirsch said that if maybe I write about my experience, it might release me from it, as he puts it. Like there's some sort of mental hold on me, torturing me. Guilt? I was as much a victim as Tom was. Tom. <laughs> Tom was my friend from college. We both attended Boston University. Freshman year, his room was right across the hall from mine. I remember running into him on a bench late one night while my roommate was spending too long talking on the phone to his girlfriend back home. Tom bummed me a smoke and we just sat, talked about our roommates, idiosyncrasies, a couple hours. After that, we just hung out all the time. Even after college, we stuck together. Both got jobs in the city, lived near each other in Somerville. When was that? Uh... It was May, right? <laughs> Friday the 13th. Of all days. And Tom called me up after work. I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. What do you got going on this weekend? Nothing. Any chance you could uh, help me clean out a house? Who are we robbing? My dead aunt. Friends help you move. Good friends help you move bodies, eh? Fortunately, somebody already moved the body, but she's got a lot of other stuff in her place, and I need to clean it out so it can get sold. Tom picked me up that night. We drove and listened to tunes on the radio, stopped and ate, chilled, just drove and drove. And as we were going, I posed the question, So, Tom, how'd she die? She hung herself. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. Don't be. She was absolutely insane. I'm sure she loved you, too. <laughs> Hardly. But she loved her brother. And he just happened to be my father. He needs to get the house sold, but my parents live out in Washington now, so I agreed to clean the house. What a good son you are. Well, I'm getting paid for it. Oh, I see. I help do the work and you get all the reward. You get the reward of my company for a weekend. In some rat hole. I guess that's better than what I had planned. Black Pond Road. It's a hell of a name for a place. Her house looked like it was going to collapse. There was one floor, one large living room connected to a tiny kitchen and two tiny bedrooms. The bathroom was practically a closet. There was a screened porch off the side looking into the woods. It was about after one in the morning when we got there. I remember suggesting we sleep in the car, just in case the house collapsed. Tom pulled out a flashlight. We gathered our bedrolls and backpacks and went inside. I was... Then the floor... Moved. It was dark, but when Tom shone his light in... I swear to Christ, it looked for a moment like the floor moved. I'll never forget that floor. It was the kitchen. 
Greasy, stained white tiles. Everything in that room was greasy and stained, even the windows. They were so gross. The reflected light from Tom's flashlight, it came back like a mustardy puke yellow. Was it clicking? Tapping? I can't describe it, but the, the feeling when we walked in was like a couple crashes walking into a chatty party and everyone stopping what they were saying and just looking at us. Almost the faintest echo of a final sound, like... like a hundred fingernails tapping on a tabletop, and then... and then quiet. Did you hear that? No. We should have slept in the car. My room was like a prison cell attached to the living room. Tom's room was only accessible from the screened porch. I took a look in and told him we should switch. Hey, if I'm not getting paid, at least give me the nicer room. You don't want this room. This is the room she hung herself in. Well, after that, we just stood there for a bit. <laughs> the only thing missing from my room are balls on the window. That's so you can escape when a ghost comes for us. Damn, Tom, a ghost wouldn't be caught dead here. I went and unrolled my sleeping bag in the tiny bed in my room and then climbed in and lay there in the dark. After a while, everything being quiet, I started hearing this sound. It was like chittering and buzzing. Mosquitoes, that's what I thought. I pulled the sleeping bag over my head and tucked it under me to keep anything out. Oh, God. If I hadn't been so tired. Something bit me on the web of skin between my fingers. I woke up and was instantly in pain all over my legs, like, like a hundred needle pricks. And my feet felt like I was standing in the sand at the beach when the water coming in and the mud squishing between my toes. I jerked out of the sleeping bag and fell on the floor. I hurt my chin on something. I, I don't know what. I got up and checked my hand. It was a, a tiny red dot of a bug bite between my index and middle finger. And then I looked at my legs. They were dotted like a bad case of chicken pox. Hundreds of little bite marks and I looked at my sleeping bag it was a stream of bugs just skittering out of the bag crawling over each other earwigs hundreds and hundreds of earwigs slithering out of the bag I'd been sleeping in house centipedes with them wiggling along this tide of glistening bodies just crawling out of the bag with me. I felt like I was going to puke. I ran from the room, slamming the door shut. When the morning arrived, I went out through the porch and into Tom's room and shook him. Get out. You gotta get out of your bag. 
Dude, what time is it? It's morning time, and you need to get out of the sleeping bag, dude. My bag is full of bugs. I'm covered in bug bites. Get the hell out of the bag. Oh, my stomach hurts. Just give me a second. Tom didn't have any bugs in his bag. I almost hated him for that. But then he complained again about his stomach hurting and pulled up his shirt. I saw these swollen marks all along the waistline of his pants. What the hell, dude? We are not sleeping in this house, man. Look at my legs. My bites went swollen, but they itched so bad. I wasn't taking my bedroll home. No way in hell was I keeping it after seeing all those bugs crawl out of it. Burn it. Just burn the whole house. Burn it. And that's my dream. When I fall asleep, I'm back in that bag, only I can't get out. And the earwigs and the centipedes are covering my feet and my legs and crawling up into my underwear and all over my chest and then they're on my neck and on my arms, in my ears and wiggling towards my nose and I can't scream because they'll be in my mouth. And no matter how much I thrash, the bag won't open. And they just keep crawling back over me. I can't dream that anymore. I spent a week telling myself it was just a dream, but... I know they didn't crawl over me. They had to have been all over me as they slithered into the warm, dark comfort of my bag. Maybe I wouldn't dream it if... If Tom hadn't... I'm getting off track. We didn't find any bugs in Tom's room. He gave me his car keys and I went into town and bought some cortisone for him to put on the bites. When I got back, Tom was outside. He had this flashlight and he was looking under the porch... Come here. So I went over. I looked under the porch and what he was pointing at. The porch was raised on these concrete blocks because of the tilt of the ground. We could see all the way under the house. On the far side, there was this gray muck. It looked like Crusted, packed mud. That's a hive. I remember it felt like I just hit the peak on a roller coaster and now the world was flying down at me. It's huge. There's no way I can do the enormity of this thing justice. It was spread across the underside of the house from the edge of the base on deep into the darkness. Nothing was moving on it. But I looked at it a long time. I could see little passage holes in it. Hundreds and hundreds of holes. We are leaving. I was ahead of Tom. I wanted to be home already. I waited while Tom used the cream I'd bought on his bites, which I, I knew now was stings. It was unnatural. I swear the aggressiveness of the insect life in that house... I ended up driving us back. Tom got these 
Awful cramps. He eventually had to lie down in the back seat, doubled over in pain. I pulled over at a rest stop and made him let me check the spots out. The swelling had gone down. But he had these stabbing pains in his gut. I told him we needed to take him to the doctor. I wanted to see one myself. I had these bites all over my legs. You've got to tell your parents to burn that house to the ground. Believe me, I will. I went and had the bites checked on Sunday. It was fine. I had my first nightmare that night. In it, I was... I was back in that bag. I was being consumed by earwigs and centipedes. I called Tom to see if he'd gotten checked. He didn't answer. I called him again on Monday. When I talked to him, he sounded... I don't know. Distant, maybe. Like he was thinking about something else. I asked him if he'd told his folks about the house. He said he hadn't. I took the day off and I went to see him on Wednesday. I buzzed him, but he didn't answer. I got into the building when someone else came out and I found this door was unlocked. He was sitting on his couch, just staring at the far wall. He looked gray. His skin, it wasn't pale or rotting or anything like that, but he did not look healthy. He hadn't cleaned up in a couple days and his place stunk. He just sat there. Tom, we gotta get you to a doctor, dude. I'm fine now. Thanks. He still sounded distant. I don't think he even saw me. You're not fine, dude. This... this isn't fine. I'm getting you some clothes and we're going to the hospital. Oh god, I let him out of my sight. Oh god, this is my fault. Oh god. I'm so sorry, Tom. Tom, I'm so sorry. I... When I came back, he was gone, and his door was open. I went outside and I looked for him, but he wasn't anywhere. I waited for hours in the step of his building when I finally went home. I went back after work on Thursday, but his door was shut and locked. I buzzed him, but I got no answer. I called his cell and was directed straight to voicemail. I didn't... I didn't know what to do. I was just struggling to think. I'd been having this nightmare for days and hadn't started refusing to sleep. I just couldn't think straight. I should have called the police. When I got home, I just fell asleep on the couch. And I dreamed being trapped in that bag again. I swear when I woke up I felt like the bites on my legs had returned. Friday arrived. It was a week after that awful day. 
and I was just a, a zombie the whole day. My supervisor just told me to go home. I was so tired that I missed the stop for Davis Square and found myself wandering out of Alewife, not even thinking about where I was going. The walk helped me think, though, and when I got home, I called Tom's folks and spoke to his father. I told him Tom was sick, and I was very worried about him. He told me that he had spoken to him recently and had confirmed some of my suspicions. Tom did sound odd when he called last night. Uh, when he called, did he tell you about the house? Well, yes, but I assumed it was a joke. No, 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 sir. Uh, you, you need to have that place raised. <laughs> raised? No. He didn't say anything about that. He joked about going to live there. I honestly don't think it was Tom he spoke to. I don't think he was in control at that point. And whatever was in control intended to take him back to the house. To live there. Poor Tom. I went back to his place that afternoon and got in again. His door was unlocked, but he wasn't there. He had left a note on his fridge. You could tell he... something... something was messed up. It was so hard to read. It said... I can feel them moving inside me. I can't stop it. I don't want to go. Bye. Tom shot himself that weekend. They found his body in Cambridge with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Just another body in an alley with a hole in his head. I didn't even know he owned a gun. The police didn't suspect foul play, but they did an autopsy because he looked like he'd been on drugs. When I called his folks to offer my condolences, I asked them if they'd found drugs. They told me that the coroner had found dozens of large wasp larvae living inside of him. Oh, God. They had been feeding on him from the inside, burrowing through his body. I told his parents to burn that house to the ground and salt the earth once the ashes were cold. I don't know what they did about it. It may still be there, buzzing and chittering with life. And the floor moved. The house took Tom's life. The bugs. And I can't sleep. I'm trapped in a bag. And they're getting in my mouth. And my nose. And my ears. And they're moving across my skin. And they're consuming me. I don't feel 
better. I just want to forget. How do I end this thing? I can't stand this room anymore. Imagine the feeling of someone gnawing deep inside your gut. What would you do if you found that squirming feeling inside of you? What lengths would you go to in making the chewing stop? Poor Tom chose the easy way out. Stay tuned for our next story after this important message. Hey everybody, this is Archibald Carlyle. I just wanted to say something about Will Dolphin's book, Don't Look Away. During the production of this episode of the podcast, we were supposed to already have that book published. It has not been yet. Some of the references in here do say that the book is out, but it is not out yet. So, we will keep you updated as soon as the book is released on Amazon. Thanks very much, folks. Now, back to the show. Continuing on our nightmare bug hunt, rest in peace, Bill Paxton, we present a father who is trying to help his son overcome his fear of insects. But what is a father to do when his son's fears are well warranted? This case calls for much more than a simple pest exterminator. This second helping from Don't Look Away is presented to you by yours truly, G.M. Danielson, featuring Ashley Tolfo and Nate Hawkins. Grab your rolled-up newspaper and can of raid for The Ant King. It's just an ant. I put my foot down and felt it crunch beneath my shoe. Buggy, buggy! I picked my foot up and watched as the maimed and dying ant twitched and tried to run away. Brandon screamed at the sight of it and fled to his bedroom. I couldn't understand why he was so afraid of insects, especially ants. He was eight years old for cripe's sake. He watched from the doorway to his bedroom, hugging a blanket as I picked up the dead ant off the floor and took it over to the trash can. You do realize that when you go outside, there are literally millions of insects out there with you, right? When you're playing in front of the yard, there's probably hundreds of ants around you. You just don't notice. You're being ridiculous. Why hate buggy? You love caterpillars. They don't count. Look, just use a shoe or a book or something. I'm not going near them. My wife Lisa came up behind me. What's going on, Jim? Uh, Brandon saw an ant. Oh. 
Brandon, honey, it's lunchtime. I'm not coming out. There are buggies out there. I killed the ant, Brandon. Are there more? He opened the door and peeked out. Not any that I can see. Lisa pushed his door open the rest of the way and led Brandon out by the hand. Now come on and have lunch. I didn't say anything as she led him away, but I watched him looking all around, desperately, sure that he was going to see another ant coming for him. Every spring, our house develops a bit of an ant problem. I don't know where they get in, but we kill them left and right until Lisa gets fed up and calls an exterminator. They pop up for a couple more days afterward, and then they eventually disappear for the rest of the year. It was just the start of ant season. It was a Sunday, and I was coming upstairs from the basement where I had been handling a load of laundry, when I heard Brandon screaming. I dropped what I was carrying and sprinted up the remaining steps through the kitchen and into the hallway where I heard him in the bathroom. Oh, for God's sake. Just kill it, Brandon. No. I was determined this time to resolve this fear of insects and make him handle the situation on his own. I'm not coming in. You're just going to have to kill it yourself. I'm not killing it, Brandon. You can do it. When the screaming and demands to come in and save him didn't work, he cried, begging me. I stood outside the bathroom door calmly. I'm not killing it. If his mother had been home, she'd probably have finally come to his rescue. Mommy's at the store, Brandon. You're welcome to wait, though. Or just pick up a book and squish the ant yourself. I walked away. I didn't say another word. I just walked away. Brandon heard me go, and his screaming and crying got louder and shriller. He said things I couldn't make out, partly because he was halfway across the house, and partly because he was blubbering so much that he wasn't making any sense. Then I heard it, the sound I'd been waiting for. Brandon sprinted out like the devil was after him. He jumped onto the sofa and covered himself with pillows. See? You did it. Don't you feel better now? For a long while, he didn't say anything. He just sobbed and hid. I went into the bathroom to clean up the ant. He had dropped the biggest, heaviest book he could find on it. Some fantasy novel Lisa had been reading. I picked it up to see what was left of the terrifying buggy. Oh my god. Brandon wasn't kidding. It was big. 
an orangey, brown-looking monster of an ant, about as big as my thumb. There was a weird pattern on its back, like a series of pale yellow dots. It was crushed, but still struggled to drag itself away, its thorax mashed into the floor. I held the heavy tome over it, ready to put it out of its misery, and just for a second, it seemed to turn and did it look at me. I dropped the book. Then I dropped it again, for safe measure. Looking at it again, it was not like any sort of ant I'd seen in the house before. It made me really uneasy. Where had it come from? And worse, were there more like it? I shivered at the thought of those things crawling in the walls. Good on Brandon for killing that behemoth. If I'd have known how big it was, I would have been less inclined to make him do the deed himself, but still felt proud of him for taking care of it. Grabbing my phone, I took a photo of the ant before wadding up some toilet paper and wiping it off the floor and book before tossing it into the bathroom trash. I went to console Brandon in his pillow for it. That was a big ant. I know. I patted his head gently. I'm proud of you for killing it. I didn't know they got that big around here. It was going to eat me. No, buddy. Our ants don't eat people. After Lisa got home and I helped her unload the groceries from the car and got everything put away, I told her about Brandon's run-in with the monster ant. It was big. I've never seen one that big. I showed her the photo on my phone. Oh my god. She stared at it a moment. I'm calling the exterminator. It was two weeks earlier than usual, but I didn't disagree. The next morning, Brandon woke me up, bursting into the bedroom screaming what was quickly becoming his catchphrase. Buddy! Buddy! Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Look, Brandon, okay, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm getting up, I'm, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. I was still mostly asleep, so groggily rolled over and brushed him away. Come on, buddy, just kill it yourself. You can do it. No! Buggies! Lots of them! Oh, no. I jumped out of bed, my mind whirling with the thoughts of more ants like the one in the bathroom the day before, crawling all over our house. I pulled on some pants, looking around my bedroom, wondering if they were already in there with us. Nothing. Brandon ran out of the bedroom ahead of me, leading the way. He turned the corner into the bathroom and started up his shouting again. I breathed a sigh of relief. A line of small, normal-looking ants crossed from somewhere behind the radiator on the far wall, past the tub, and up into the trash can, just a procession of ants moving with odd determination. What were they doing? Oh, right. I grabbed a book off the shelf and started squishing. The ants scattered, running in their typical confused patterns. The ones that were on and in the trash can continued their march, disappearing somewhere behind the sink. 
Within a few seconds, the parade dissolved into chaos, with several dead ants, and the rest retreating or gone. Brandon hopped around in the hallway in a panic, but he settled down quickly. I took him into the living room and set him up with a bowl of cereal, before going into the bathroom and cleaning up the dead ants. We definitely needed that exterminator. I had never seen the ant problem so bad before. I went to work on Monday. It was a school holiday, so Lisa and Brandon got to sleep in and relax, but my office was still open. I took the opportunity to go in early with the plan to get out early and go home and take Brandon to the park for an hour or so. It was a beautiful day. I called the exterminator around noon to see if he could stop by the house later that day and spray for the ants. We'd been using the same exterminator for the past several years, so he knew us by name and knew we'd be calling sometime soon. Hey, Jim. Nice to hear from you. How are you and the family doing? Okay. <laughs> You're early this year. Well... Alright, what can I do for you? Yeah, yeah, I, I know it's a bit ahead of schedule, Hank. But the ants started getting into the house early, and they're behaving, well, strangely. And it's scaring Brandon. And you know Lisa is not a fan of bugs. She's already demanded I call. We could really use your help. Sure thing, Jim. Uh, out of curiosity, what do you mean by strangely? Well, we had a run-in with some new type of ant. It's bigger than anything I've seen before. Brandon squished it. I took a picture of it afterwards, though. Can you text me the photo? You bet. I opened the picture on my phone and sent it his way. Just an FYI, Hank, that thing was about as big as my thumb. Okay, hang on, I'm looking. I sat there, the phone to my ear, waiting for him to express his shock at how big the ant was. Mother of God! I know, right? No, you don't understand. I began to feel uneasy. I'd known Hank for years, and he'd never sounded like that. Frightened. This ant. Are you, are you saying that you killed it? Brandon squished it with a book. Why? What's the matter, Hank? Get your family out of the house, Jim, right now! I felt a chill run over my entire body. Wait a minute. Hank, are these ants poisonous? Is that a fire ant? I don't get it. What's the big deal? Call your wife. Tell her to grab your son and get out of there. My arms started trembling. I felt a wave of panic and confusion wash over me. Hank, what, what's going on? Is it some sort of infestation? Are there more like that in the house? No. There's only ever one like this. Then what's the prob- You never kill it. What? You never kill this ant. If you do. What happens? I had my work phone in my other hand, desperately trying to dial Lisa's cell phone number. But my head was in a fog, and I wasn't sure if I was punching the right numbers or not. Every colony has a queen, you know? Yeah. Was this a queen? Lisa's phone kept ringing. 
Come on, pick up, pick up! No. This is more like the king. I've never heard of a king ant. I'm not saying it is a king, just... Look, get your family out of the house! Lisa didn't answer. I called the landline. It rang and rang, and then I heard our voicemail intro and slammed my phone back into its cradle in frustration. Uh, I've got to go. Go! The house was eerily quiet when I pulled up. Only the sound of our air conditioning unit broke the silence. My stomach was in knots, but even with my confused thoughts rushing through my head, I could sense what was wrong. There were no birds chirping, no squirrels making noises from the branches of the trees. Everything was dead silent. Sitting out on the lawn was Brandon's bicycle, tipped over. No, that that was okay. He often left it like that when he had to run inside to use the bathroom or got called in for lunch. There's nothing ominous about a tipped over bike. The front door was unlocked. That's okay, I thought. Just another sign he ran inside for some reason. I stopped and stood in the front hall where Brandon and Lisa's shoes were. Honey? Brandon? Is anybody home? Nobody replied. The living room was cold. Lisa usually ran the air conditioning on hot days like that one, until the inside was a reasonable temperature. Then she turned it off. Nobody had turned it off this time. Instinctively, I turned off the AC when I passed the thermostat. Lisa! Brandon? Hello, is anybody here? I found our cat Sebastian lying in the middle of the room. Or rather, Sebastian's bones lay there. He had been picked clean. Nothing left but tufts of black and white fur and his skeleton. Oh, oh, oh my God. I ran then. I ran into the dining room where the two of them had abandoned a lunch of soup and sandwiches. The table was covered with a swarm of black ants, a carpet of moving bodies, as they picked apart the sandwiches and carried off the crumbs. The moment I entered the room, the ants dropped what they were doing and converged, pouring off the table in waves around me. I had never seen anything like it before. They just tumbled over each other to get to me. I felt a scream lodge itself in my throat and suddenly knew the terror that Brandon had felt when he had seen those buggies. Crazed and panicking, I stomped through the tiny attackers. They swarmed over my shoes, even as their brethren were crushed beneath them. They moved so fast. Oh, God, they just kept coming, tearing at the fabric and laces, storming up toward my socks. Uh, uh, I just charged through, shouting at the top of my lungs even as I felt them on my ankles and calves, swatting my legs as I tried to keep them off me while still preventing them from getting on my hands. One giant Gulliver versus hundreds of Lilliputians. 
I somehow made it through to the other side of the dining room and into the kitchen. Ants crawled up the legs of my pants, but I crushed them with my hands, never stopping to let the rest catch up. A dozen or so continued to pinch and bite at my ankles, and I tried to mash them against the insides of my shoes as I ran. A small fire extinguisher lay in the far corner. I didn't even know if it worked, but I planned to find out. Pulling it from the wall without stopping, I held it up as I continued to retreat into the back hallway, reading the instructions. Don't let it be a Mensa test just to use this thing. No, okay, there was just a pin I had to pull, and then it was ready to use. The tide of angry ants skittered across the kitchen floor. There weren't so many, just a hundred or so. Just the leftovers of the ones who'd stuck around to loot the lunch from our table. Something bit me near the back of my knee, but I ignored it. I angled the nozzle of the extinguisher at the mass of little monsters. With a squeeze of the handle, white foam erupted from the extinguisher and doused my attackers. Their assault was slowed by the cloud of chemicals. The entirety of the attacking force got a good dose, and with relief, I watched as they retreated with confusion, and then, hopefully, agonizing death. Within seconds, every last ant had stopped moving. I reached behind me and pinched the one on the back of my leg, squeezing it until it popped. How do you like that, huh? A moment later, my wits returned to me. Lisa and Brandon. Oh God, please let them be okay. I found them in Brandon's room. Lisa had tried to keep the ants out by stuffing clothes under the door, but the ants had gotten in anyway. What was left of her was curled up in a fetal position in the middle of the room on a blood-soaked rug. I guess the ants had found her harder to pick clean than the cat. They'd given up halfway. When I saw her, I fell to my knees, horrified. A noise from the closet brought me back to my senses again. I kept my voice down, still afraid I hadn't seen the last of the ants. Brandon? Buddy, are you there? I crept past Lisa's remains and pulled open the closet door slowly, fearfully. Brandon was propped up against the wall, seemingly unharmed. He just stared off into space, his mouth hanging open, his body slowly rocking back and forth. I stood between him and Lisa. I didn't want him to see his mother's corpse. Oh, God, buddy. I kneeled down to try to get him to look at me. It's going to be okay. We gotta get out of here. Brandon? I leaned forward and touched his arm. And then I saw the front of his t-shirt was moving and the dark, wet stain. And then I saw the ants... The ants in the far back of his mouth, and the ants that crawled out from under his eyelids, and the ants that started pouring out over the neckline of his shirt with pieces of his insides. And I ran. I ran out of that house. I just got in my car and fled. 
I don't sleep these days. There's ants everywhere. I don't know if they're still hunting me. I kill them every chance I get. I don't take joy in it. I do it simply for self-preservation. So far, they haven't tried to fight back. I don't know what I'd do if I ever saw another one like the one in the bathroom that day. Whether I'd let it live or kill it and run the risk of invoking their wrath again. I think I might kill it. For Brandon. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Oh, yes. We went there. Our darkness knows no bounds, and when the Ant King cometh, it is best for young and old to make way for the king. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. You are not escaping that easily. We have so much more in store for you, dear listener, when we return. ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, you get an extended version of this show. You'll get more than you can handle, I guarantee that. Not only will you get these episodes in full horror psycho audio color, but you'll also get extra goodies that you won't find anywhere else, and we'll make it worth your while. Don't you worry about that. Go to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour and take the tour today and see what you're missing. Now I gotta get back to work here. Alright, who's next? (laughs) We now continue our dark exploration. The gift of a piece of art is the perfect thing to spice up any decor. In our next story, you will wear the hat of an art critic, not unlike Thurber in H.P. Lovecraft's Pickman's Model. 
Your keen eye will be challenged as you are faced with a painting that does not want to be observed, as much as it wants you to turn away. So keep your eye on the wall for this one, listeners. The next installment from Don't Look Away is performed by Steve Taylor, featuring Jesse Cornett, Brindalyn McNair, Eden, and Otis Gyrie. All I can say is to be ready for the ever-changing world of The Painting of a Hallway. Hi, uh, I got a delivery for you? Yeah, there's a sign here. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. I got this package in the mail from my dad. Brown paper wrapping, large but flat, with the word fragile written on it in black ink. When I unwrapped it, it was this big acrylic painting framed in some sort of bronze gilded plaster. The painting was of this long hallway full of doors, kind of like you'd see in a fancy hotel. The walls had edging about halfway up. The upper part was painted in off-white, while the lower half was a crimson red that blended into the carpeting. Between each door was an upturned light. There was also one on the far wall at the end where the corridor seemed to connect to another hallway, running perpendicular to it, disappearing around a corner. It was really amazing detail, though I wouldn't call it lifelike by any means. Just the sheer amount of intricate pieces to each aspect of the scene showed that the artist really paid attention to every little thing, like... Somewhere in the world was this hallway, and you could stand in it and hold the painting up in front of you, and, if it weren't for the border and the clearly stylized art, you wouldn't be able to tell where the canvas ended and the real world began. I called him up and thanked him immediately. When I asked him where he'd found it, all he said was that he got it in an auction. I kind of figured as much. So I hung up the painting in my office, just behind my desk, which I later realized wasn't the best place for it. In order to actually look at it, I had to swivel completely around, but there wasn't anywhere better really, and once I'd gotten it hung up, I felt less willing to take it back down. So I just left it there. It kind of hung out over my shoulder and watched me work, and every now and then I'd turn around and stare at it and get entranced by it feeling like I could get up and put my hands in the frame and climb into the painting as if the frame were a window. Of course, I wouldn't be writing this if something weird didn't happen as a result of the painting. We had a couple of friends over named Mark and Sabina. Mark and I went into my office when the women started talking about knitting, my wife's new favorite hobby. I sat down at my laptop to find a video I'd been telling Mark about, and Mark wandered over and started admiring the painting. Where'd you get that? My dad bought it at an auction and gave it to me. It's creepy. It's not that creepy. It's kind of... I don't know. Hypnotic? Yeah. I turned around to look at it with him while the video loaded. He got up close and ran his finger over the canvas, feeling the raised acrylic. And I just let my gaze wander over all the details again. I didn't notice that before. What? Uh, At the end of the hall, there's some sort of light coming from around the corner, and it's casting a shadow on the floor. I got up and looked closer. I really hadn't spent a lot of time studying the far end of the hallway. 
There was definitely some yellow and some darker colors making what looked like the shadow of a person coming from around the corner. I even reached out and touched it to make sure it wasn't some trick of the light in the study just making it look like there was this shadow in the painting. But I felt the acrylic and sure enough, the shadow was actually there in the painting. See what I mean? Creepy. I genuinely felt weirded out about it. It was one of those moments where you start thinking, why didn't I notice this earlier? Was it there to notice? A couple days later, I was working on a project in my study. It was about 9.30 at night and I just couldn't focus. So I spun around in my chair to take a look at the painting and I felt this sudden vertigo effect like the ground wasn't there. And I had to grab my chair to keep from tumbling into emptiness. You wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't looked at the painting a hundred times like I had. The hallway was long with exactly six doors. I remember because I counted them the first day. Three on the left, three on the right, each with a little shiny metal doorknob. Only now there were seven doors. Three on the left, four on the right. It didn't make sense. Everything looked proportionally exactly the same, and the far end of the corridor was just as far away, and yet there was a fourth door on the right side of the hallway with its little metal doorknob. I didn't even know which door was the fourth door. That's how well it blended in. I just knew that there were four doors where once there were three. What is going on? I turned away in my chair and looked back, checking several times to make sure my eyes weren't playing tricks on me, but the number of doors remained constant. Seven. I called my dad again. Hello. Hey, Dad, it's me. How are you doing? Oh, can't complain. <laughs> and to what do I owe the pleasure? I've got a question. All right. Be honest. Is this a trick painting you sent me? I mean, it keeps changing. I can see it changing. Not as far as I know. It was just one and a bunch I picked up, all at the same auction. Hmm. Why do you ask? Is something wrong? Oh, no, no, just curious. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome, son. Anytime. I've got to go. I'll talk to you later, okay? I love you, Dad. Love you too, son. Have a nice day. I will. Thanks again, Dad. Bye. After I got off the phone, I took the painting down and checked the back for some sort of mechanical or digital hocus-pocus, but it was all soft canvas. I left it on the floor behind my office chair facing the wall. The mere thought of it was freaking me out. The next day, I pulled my wife Melissa into my office and held the painting up so she could see it. She hadn't had a chance to do so before. How many doors are there? Um... Seven. There were six when I first got this. She just looked at me like I was being a goofball. <laughs> okay, so... Which one wasn't there before? I have no idea. <laughs> oh. You don't know which door magically appeared? The... No, I, uh... But Honey, I'm in the middle of something. Tell you what. Come and find me when you figure it out. <laughs> Melissa went back into the other room. It gets worse. The next time I chatted with Mark, I told him about the extra door in the painting. 
Are you sure there weren't seven doors to begin with? I know what you're thinking, Mark, but I would swear I counted six. Well, if another one shows up, at least Melissa counted seven and can confirm it, then. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should take a photo of the painting so you can prove it if anything else changes. It was a great idea. I got my phone and took a photo of the painting. Two days went by, nothing happened. On the third day, I walked into my office, and there was a man staring at me. Well, I mean, it wasn't. I can't say that it was a man or a woman. Honestly, I can't even say that it was human. There was a shape at the end of the hallway in my painting. It oddly lacked the same detail that the rest of the painting had, like someone had hurriedly painted it on. I even ran my hand over it to make sure it wasn't fresh, that someone hadn't actually come in and painted over the original work, just trying to drive me crazy. It was completely dry. The look of it scared me more than anything else, changing painting included. I wish I could do it more justice with words, but the best I can describe it is that it was human-ish, with legs and arms, but squat or hunched and lopsided like somebody had slapped a blurry quasi-moto onto an otherwise beautiful painting. You couldn't see the details of its face, but you could see shading on it, defining warped features. I was almost glad there wasn't more detail to it, except for the fact that it left just enough to the imagination to give one nightmares. But I had proof. Here was proof that the painting was changing. So I brought up the file on my laptop to show my wife for comparison. But when I did, the figure was in the photo I took too. At no point did I start questioning my sanity about all this. Something unnatural and terrifying was going on. So I took the painting out of the house and set it on the curb where we put our trash for pickup. I was so done with that painting. Or so I thought. The next evening when I got home from work, it was gone from the curb. I figured someone had seen it and taken it home and I waved my hands and thought, Good, now it's someone else's problem. I went inside, played with my daughter Gabby, had dinner, put Gabby to bed. And, after watching a show with my wife, went into my office to check my email. No, the painting wasn't back on the wall. I made sure of that the moment I walked into the room. But I got a message from Mark, asking if the painting had changed again and asking me to call him to talk about it. I got him on the line, and I told him about the creepy new addition and how I'd gotten rid of the painting. Oh man, that sounds cool. I wish I'd gotten a chance to see it. Well, I can send you the photo I took of it. Cool. So I opened the image file. The thing in the painting had raised its arms. Before, you could only barely make out the arms hanging at its sides, but now, both arms were raised up over its head, and its fingers were spread apart like it was waving hello at me. I think it was waving hello at me. I zoomed in as best as I could without pixelating the image and the shaded contours of the face seemed stretched into a grin. Oh no, 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 no. I sent Mark the file, but the connection kept dropping, so I put it in a folder on my Dropbox account and gave him access to it. Ah, the file's corrupted. I tried to open it as well, but Mark was right. Every time I copied the image, it somehow got corrupted. This isn't funny. I'm freaking out here. Sorry. Delete the file if it's scaring you so bad. 
And that's exactly what I did. I deleted the file. But it gnawed at me, you know? The painting was still changing in horrible, terrifying ways, seemingly acknowledging my observation of it. And now it was gone. But if it was gone, why should it matter? If something unholy happens, it's the problem of whoever has the painting now, right? And they'll see it changing too, won't they? It was two days later, and I was organizing a folder of documents and had accidentally deleted a couple I hadn't meant to. I went into the Windows recycling bin, and you guessed it, there was the image file along with the documents. I had to look. I trembled with dread at the thought of it. But when something that surreal happens to you, you have to witness it to see it through to the end. I recovered the file and opened it. The walls of the hallway seemed to be melting. The partition separating the red from the off-white was lower than it had been before, drooping in places. The ridges on the lights looked like they were peeling off. The carpet seemed less crimson and more reddish-brown. And the figure had taken several steps down the corridor toward the viewer's perspective. More details had become defined. Hair hung off its head, long and black like it had been painted with a fine-tipped brush. The eyes were a little more than dull black points under the shading of the brow. The grin came with teeth, uneven and fat like those of a child more than an adult. Its arms extended out on either side of it, touching both walls. One foot was ahead of the other, as if it had caught it mid-step in a game of red light, green light. I realized that I was panting and shaking as I looked at it. It was really hard to breathe. An anxiety attack. The painting was going to make me pass out just from looking at a digital photo of it. I quickly closed the image to calm myself down, but that brought forth another disturbing thought. What if it progresses every time I look away? The only way to stop it is to keep looking. So I opened the file again. No change. Oh, no, wait. That wasn't a new change. I had noticed it before, but it hadn't dawned on me. One of the doors was open. There was a dim blue light coming from the room inside. Moonlight, I thought. And just outside the threshold of the door, an object lay on the floor. I zoomed in for better detail. It was a little yellow stuffed lion with a scraggly orange mane. A child's toy. Of all the details, the melting hallway, the grinning fiend with arms wide open, the blue light from the open doorway. It was the innocent nature of that little toy lion that filled me with the most dread. My wife came into the office. Come kiss Gabby goodnight. I went into my daughter's darkened room where she was wrapped up in blankets in her bed, hugging a half dozen stuffed animals and looking cute as could be. My little darling, I love her so much. I kissed my daughter goodnight. She kissed me back and hugged her little pillow pet with a built-in nightlight. It glowed, shifting through a variety of colors. I love you, baby. Daddy, can you get my Simba? Of course, honey. I looked around but couldn't see it anywhere. Where'd you leave it, Gabby? Over there. She pointed to the closet. The door was open, and Simba, her little yellow stuffed lion with the scraggly orange mane, lay on the floor just inside. Seeing it lying there, just past the threshold of the closet door, 
while the dim glow of my daughter's nightlight faded from red to purple to blue, I felt my heart rise up in my chest. The closet was just a closet. I could see it was just a closet. There were clothes on hangers and bags with toys and blocks in them. They were right there. And yet, as I looked at the stuffed lion lying on the floor, waiting for me, I felt as if I could see carpeting on the floor inside the closet, even though there was none. Carpeting, not in my vision, but in my imagination. And maybe, if I went in and shut the door, I'd find that the walls beyond those clothes had a wooden partition, red below, off-white above. And maybe there was something hunched and terrible shambling its way toward us even as I stood there staring at that toy. I walked briskly, trying not to look half as frightened as I was, snatching up Simba and shut the closet door. My breathing was heavy and I struggled to avoid gasping for breath as I tried to calm myself down. Hey, uh, did that poster fall down? I, uh, I should fix that. I pretended to adjust a cat poster that had been on the floor by Gabby's dresser for months. In doing so, I shoved the heavy dresser over so that it partially blocked the closet door. Here's, here's Simba, sweetie. Yay, thank you, Daddy. I love you. I handed the lion to Gabby, gave her a quick hug and kiss, and wished her goodnight before rushing back to my office. The painting had changed, as I knew it would. The open door was closed, the toy gone from the floor, and the hallway dimly lit with yellow light from the melting lights again. But the thing, that not-quite-human fiend, stood right outside the now-shut door. Its body turned to face it with both hands pressed up against the door itself, like it was running its hands down it, caressing it. Its head was turned toward me, still grinning that awful, frightening grin full of gnashed, crooked teeth. Oh God, how close had it been? No, it's, it's just a closet. The hallway is not there. It's not real. None of this is real. I put up signs around the neighborhood, knocked on doors, asked everyone I knew and many I didn't if they knew who took the painting. I needed to find it and get it back. I wanted to tear it, shred it in my hands, throw it in a fire, and watch it burn to ashes. I prayed it didn't end up in some landfill. For over a week, I hunted for that painting. I had put it on the side of the road to be carted off on garbage day, but someone saw it, picked it up, and took it home with them. Who? I don't know. Do they see it changing? Is it terrorizing them now? What do I do? It eats at you, not knowing. I refused to open the image file, afraid to see what it showed, certain that the hideously deformed creature would be twisting the knob on the door that presumably led to my daughter's bedroom. I lay awake, listening for the distinct sound the hinges on that door make, my heart racing like a track runner's. Sometimes I would imagine I heard it and bolt into her bedroom only to find it dark and empty, the only thing audible being the soft sound of her sleeping, the closet door still shut and blocked behind a wall of boxes. In desperation for my own sanity, I removed the doorknob. Then I sat there at my desk, studying the knob, wondering if removing it had made a change in the image. Was the knob gone in the painting? Oh God, it was killing me to know, to see whether I was safe or not. So I opened the file. 
I opened the image, biting my knuckle in tension. When I saw it, my jaw clenched up so tight, I tasted my own blood and nearly broke my finger. It was there. I mean, it was right there. The monster, the freak, the thing that lived inside that twisted painting was staring right at me, filling the screen. Details so vivid it didn't look like a painting at all. It looked like I'd taken a photo of a disfigured man standing in front of a canvas. You want a description to go with your nightmares? Its skin was like wax, pale, greasy wax. The flesh lumped up in places and sloughed off in others. It was as if someone had tried to build a human head out of modeling clay and then left it out in the rain. There was hair, black and brown and white streaked hair that hung like seaweed off of the top of its head, running down over its face, covering its ears. If you asked me to sum up this thing in one sentence, I would say it looked like a desiccated corpse that got dredged up out of the East River after a week in a hot July. But the eyes, the eyes, the eyes were the worst part. There was a clearness in them, a sinister intelligence that stared back at me as I tore into the flesh of my hand with my teeth. No dullness or milky coloration, just piercing brown eyes looking dead at me. And a mouth full of teeth curved into a mischievous smile. And I mean full of teeth. It was like looking into a shark's maw. Behind the first row was clearly another row of the same crooked, yellowing teeth. Two rows, exposed by its excited grin. That was what it was. Not mischievous at all, but excited. It was happy to see me. It was happy to see me. And as I had that thought, staring in escalating horror at my computer screen... This inhuman nightmare staring back at me, I knew it was true. It could see me. It wasn't just a painting that looked like a freak of nature was staring out of the canvas. It actually was looking at me, out from my screen, just as I was looking at it. Go away. I closed the image. Then I deleted it. Then I emptied the recycling bin just for safe measure. I got up and ran away from the computer. I spent the rest of the day pacing and feeling irritable, snapping at every question my wife or daughter asked until they finally just stopped asking me anything at all. When I close my eyes, I see it. It's there behind my eyelids now, smiling at me, its head cocked ever so slightly like a curious dog. It can't speak to me, but I feel like I know what it was thinking. It was thinking, do you really think you can stop me? No, I don't think I can. My wife came into my office that evening. She stood there, frowning heavily and seemingly waiting for me to say something. But I was too distracted to speak up. Finally, she broke the silence. You've got to stop. Stop what? Stop taking things out on me and Gabby. Stop this story about a painting with the monster in it. Stop acting like you're crazy. The painting is real. You saw it. I've got the image on my computer to prove it's still changing. Let's see it. Fine. Oh, wait. I just deleted it. You're giving Gabby nightmares. 
I had to change her sheets today because she was afraid to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. This has to stop. I'm trying to protect her. I'm trying to protect us. Melissa threw up her hands in frustration. Monsters don't come out of paintings. You're a grown man. Stop acting like a child. Stop scaring your child. It's real, Melissa. You have to believe me. After she stormed out of the room, I just sat there, holding my head in my hands and tearing at my hair. It felt like my stomach was eating itself from the inside. It groaned and tugged at my guts. Melissa and I had fought before, but never like this. I should apologize, I thought. She was in the bedroom, packing a suitcase. Where are you going? I'm taking Gabby to my parents. In Indiana? For how long? Melissa threw a bunch of clothes in the pile. I don't know. That depends on you. Don't go. Please. Look, you could use some time to relax. I think you've been too stressed lately, and I haven't seen my family in months. I could go with you. She looked at me. Could you? I couldn't. I had taken too much time off already from dealing with Gabby being sick over the winter. I pulled at my hair. Uh, No, probably not. She went into Gabby's room and came back with a pile of her clothes to go in the suitcase. It's a two-day drive. We'll stop in a hotel, like we always do. Gabby likes the one with the big pool. I covered my face. I didn't want her to see that my eyes were brimming with tears. Melissa, please. I could feel her eyes on me. (sighs) Call me when you get there. I sat at my desk in an empty house, just me and the television to keep me distracted, to keep me from thinking too much. Shut the brain off. Don't let the mind wander, you know. I wasn't actually watching it, just listening. If you asked, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what channel it was on. The clock on the wall said it was just after 11 p.m. Melissa and Gabby had left hours ago. They'd most likely be arriving at the hotel they'd made reservations at soon. That was when I got a phone call from Mark. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of weeks, not since the whole nightmare had begun. It felt good to get a little outside contact. Hey, Mark. Haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on? I want you to see something. What is it? Check your phone now. A file. I double-clicked and opened it. It was a photo of the painting. In it, the hallway was back to normal, and no freakish shambling horror was staring at me. Nor was it anywhere to be seen. The walls weren't melting and the lights were normal. It was just like it had looked when I first received it from my father. Except there were eight doors in the hallway, and like before, it fit so perfectly that I couldn't tell you which door was the new one. I closed the file. I thought the file was corrupt. Mark didn't respond, so I continued. It looks just like it did to begin with. Could you do something to it? Look! Again! Something was off. Well, I saw there were eight doors now. 
I double-clicked the file and the bottom dropped out of my stomach. There was the painting. There was the hallway. There were the lights. There was the red carpeting. There were the eight doors. And there were my wife and daughter walking into the eighth door. And in the background, the shadow of a shambling form coming around the corner. Oh no. All right, what's going on? Mark, where are you? For the love of God, answer me. What's happening? Mark! Hello, Mark! Are you there? Mark! Forget this, I thought. I needed to call Melissa. I disconnected from Mark, moved away from my desk, and frantically dialed my wife. Oh, thank God, Melissa! I just wanted to make sure you were okay. I tried my best to conceal my panic. Yeah, we just got into the hotel room. Good timing. What does it look like? There was a long pause. I could hear Gabby asking questions about the TV in the background. I'm sorry, what? What does the room look like? Well, actually, what does the hall look like? While I waited, I clicked the image file again. The melting man wasn't there. He wasn't as detailed again, mostly a jumbled smudge of paint, but he was clearly halfway down the hall and staring. Not at the doors of the hallway, but at me again. I could see stipples of white showing the teeth in his grin. Oh no, he's right there. On the other end of the phone, I heard Melissa moving toward the door. Melissa, no! I squeezed the phone in my hand like I was holding her hand and pulling her away from whatever was on the other side of her hotel door. What? What's the matter? No, don't, 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 don't worry about the hall. You can tell me tomorrow. I sat there, staring at the image on my screen. Maybe if I left it up, the thing wouldn't be able to move. Why hadn't I thought of that before? Leave the image up and it can't possibly change, right? But what was up with Mark? Why did he send me the photo? Did he? Had I somehow infected Mark's phone by sending the file to him? You're not Mark, are you? What was that, honey? Oh, no. Had I said that out loud? Oh, uh, uh, nothing. Just uh, talking to myself. I heard Gabby again in the background. open for another half hour and I promised Gabby she could go swimming. She's all wound up from being in the car. Gabby, honey, do you want to say goodnight to Daddy? Melissa, wait. Goodnight, Daddy. I love you. I love you too, baby. Can you put... We love you, honey. Bye-bye. I... I sat there in the dark of my office, the quiet of my house. Even the television seemed to have gone quiet. I sat there and stared at the image on my computer screen and prayed. 
Please, God, protect them. He didn't hear me. I should have been with them. I failed. I failed to protect them. Instead of doing something, anything to help, I sat there at my desk all night and stared at the picture of the grinning beast as it lurked in its seemingly frozen state outside the door to my wife's hotel room. It was the phone ringing in the other room that brought me to my senses. I'd been sitting there in a trance, like a zombie staring at the computer screen, my brain in a fog. I shambled into the other room and answered the call. It was a police officer from Pennsylvania calling to give me the bad news. My wife and daughter had been found in the hotel room the following morning. They suspected that Melissa had slipped and hit her head on the tiles while holding Gabby's hand, then fell into the pool, taking our little girl with her. The injury had apparently caused my wife to seize. Gabby had bruises on her arms. I knew what really happened. They had wandered into the realm of that thing in the painting, its realm, and it had finally gotten what it wanted. I dropped the phone and walked in a trance back into my study. My stomach fought to reject everything inside it. Both legs seemed confused about which direction they were supposed to be going, but I had to keep looking. I had to keep my eyes on the picture. I had to keep the monster in the painting. Melissa and Gabby were waiting for me when I got back to my desk. Their killer had dumped them unceremoniously in the middle of the hallway. There was blood on the walls, on the doors, on the two lifeless forms flopped in the middle of that crimson carpeting. If I hadn't just gotten off the phone, if I hadn't known what my wife and my daughter looked like, I might have mistaken them for just a pair of sloppily painted-on additions to the whole scene. It left them for me to see, and now it was gone. I closed the picture and reopened it. Nothing changed. It, it, it was supposed to come from me. It was my curse, not theirs. In a moment, I'll be heading to my daughter's bedroom and... I'm going to move the dresser that's barricading her closet. I'm so sorry, Gabby. Daddy loves you. I'm so sorry, Melissa. It's the only way. I'll see you both soon. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. How disturbing. The next time you feel a painting's eyes are following you, you may just be right. So I would recommend taking the advice of the author, and don't look away. When we return, we will enter an even darker part of our dungeon. Simply Scary Podcast Season 2, Episode 6. Become a patron today and you'll get the extended version of this show. Here's a sample of the extra stories you get when you become a member. Somewhere far down below, I heard a sound like something digging desperately at the earth. swallowed the lump burning in my parched throat. When I finally found the courage to speak, I squeaked out the words, uh, Um, hi. Trick or treat. Granny Clark didn't say a word. Become a member today. Go to simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash tour to get more horror than you can handle. Hold on to your heads, kiddies, as we unveil the latest news from the world of the Simply Scary Podcast. Although we were not fully able to reach our goal of Kickstarter fundraising, we appreciate every one of you who participated in our historic effort to bring you independent horror and entertainment. So we are using this O negative as a B positive opportunity and still striving to bring our world into the visual realm. We are working ahead full steam on creating more experiences for you to share the scare. Stay up to date by hitting the subscribe button below and becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. And remember that you get an extended version of this and all our Season 2 episodes so far. So, get the exclusive scares and learn how our membership definitely has its privileges. 
And remember, it is extremely important that you allow the ads to play through in our YouTube videos and occasionally click on them to assert your viewership. This is a way for you to lend your support without opening your wallet. And if you enjoyed the spine-tingling stories from Will Dalphin, which you heard on this episode, go to Amazon.com and pick up a copy of his debut horror story anthology entitled Don't Look Away, available in both paperback and Kindle formats. We will wrap up our show with this episode's winning YouTube comment. I will read one of your comments, and we will offer you a putrid prize that is sure to tickle your fright fancy. This episode's comment comes from Sad Beautiful Tragic 13. They write, Oh, sh**, those stories were really good. Well, we appreciate you noticing the expanded effort to bring you the most terrifyingly fantastic nightmare fodder we can find. We want this to be a show that literally makes your jaw drop, your ears melt, and makes you utter strange bleeping sounds. We have only just begun to haunt you. Sad, beautiful, tragic 13, we will need you to send us a screenshot of your YouTube account page with your name pictured to contact at simplyscarypodcast.com in order to claim your prize. And for you remaining fans, keep commenting and we will keep picking you off one by one, just like those zombie interns Archibald, Jesse, and myself enjoy picking on. This is G.M. Danielson, thanking you for joining us. When your shadow moves, but you didn't. When your breath stops, but you still hear breathing. And when you call out in the dark, and something answers... It might be best if you don't look away. Until you are unfortunate enough to be my prisoners again, keep your minds sharp, and your choice of butcher knives sharper, for you are just experiencing the Simply Scary Podcast. This is executive producer Jesse Cornett like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions? Email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC, 2017. Thanks for listening. Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.